And we're in Daniel chapter 7 again this morning. And By the way, if you're visiting this morning for the first time, a uh, special welcome this morning. Uh, I'm excited to have you come, but I'm going to start out by being a little bit vulnerable here. I'm a little extra nervous this morning uh, sharing because we're going to talk about Bible prophecy again and end time stuff. And I haven't done that a lot in the 33 years that I've been here as the the senior pastor, and so my first concern for you who are visiting the first time, I, I'm, my concern is, what kind of weird group is this? And so uh, that's my <clears throat> that's my story. Stick into it. We're going to talk about the Antichrist this morning, a person who will one day uh, rule the world for a short period of time. We're going to talk about the tribulation. Has anyone ever heard of the tribulation? So we're going to talk about this short period of time <clears throat> where uh, about seven years, uh, where followers of Jesus and Jewish uh, believers, uh, especially Jewish Christians, are going to suffer terrible uh, persecution during that time. Uh, in Book of Revelations, I think chapter six, it talks about pestilence and disease. And you know, we think COVID has been somewhat serious around the world. What has there been a, a, a death rate of about 0.02 percent around? It's re really, really, really low. But in the book of Revelations, chapter 6, it talks about disease during the tribulation where a quarter of the earth will be killed. 25% will die. And so, so anyway, uh, I know I wanted to make you feel good this morning, so that's why I shared that. But uh, <laughs> We're, we're going to talk about something that's referred to as the, the abomination that causes desolation. Referred to in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And, of course, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, verse 15. We're going to talk about the rapture of the church uh, in First and Second Thessalonians. And we're going to talk about the battle of Armageddon. So how much time do you have? All day. <laughs> battle of Armageddon is this huge battle that takes place at the end of the world in one of the valleys of Israel. Now, I'll be honest with you, that sounds scary to me. I mean, it really, it, it kind of sounds like a sci-fi movie. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you were thinking when you got up this morning, came to church, you know, you got the kids ready, you drove through Dutch Bros, and um, you know, there's, a, there, there's already a lot, of, a lot of unsettledness in society right now, and I would assume you came to church for some peace. And I just want to start out by saying I'm sorry. Actually, I hope you will receive from, from this message I, I really do. We've been in a series for several weeks in the book of Daniel, and, uh, and now we're at chapter 7 where he starts this prophetic section of the book, and he talks a lot about end times. It parallels the book of Revelation if you've ever read it. So we're kind of diving into some of that stuff. Now, why am I doing this? Well, because it's in the Bible, number one. But, but Jesus told us to watch and pray, to, to be on the alert and it's interesting, he talked about the need to understand the signs of the times. In fact, he, 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 he rebuked the Jewish leaders. He, he said to them, don't you know, don't you recognize, or don't you discern the signs of the times? We, we live in a really interesting time, and it would be great for us if we could discern a little more what's going on in, in, in the world today. Jesus talked about the end times with his disciples in Matthew 24, and you can read it 
little shorter version in Mark 13, uh, two chapters where, where he talks about uh, the end of time. It, he, he brings it up during his last trip to Jerusalem. In fact, uh, he and his disciples are just leaving uh, the temple, and the disciples, you know, they're often, you know, they, you wonder where they came from, but, but, you know, the disciples say, oh, Lord, look at these beautiful buildings. Aren't they amazing? And these impressive stones, and Jesus is going to die in a week, and, and they're talking about architecture, and they just didn't get it. They, they were, they just didn't understand what was, what his mission was all about, and, uh, and Jesus turns to this him and, and, and respectfully says, yes, they're beautiful. But then he goes on to tell you, I tell you, there will come a day when not one of these stones will be on top of the other. In other words, all this is going to be destroyed. And many of you know in history that took place in 70 AD, about 40 years later, when the, when the, when the Roman army came into Jerusalem and literally destroyed Jerusalem and tore down the, the, the temple and every stone in the wall. Uh, was was torn down. Now, they were stunned when Jesus said that. And uh, a little later, they were across the Kidron Valley up on the Mount of Olives. Similar to kind of us today looking out over Klamath Falls. They were up on this small hill, and they were looking uh, over Jerusalem. And they came up to Jesus. Very tender moment. Very intimate. They came up to, to Jesus and said, Lord, explain to us when that is going to happen. And, and of course, Jesus from there launches into the rest of, of Matthew 24. And he has such a heart for his disciples, but he wanted to prepare them for some of the challenges and the problems uh, that, that they were going to face. And I, I think Jesus has a heart for us this morning to discern the time we are in and, and to be prepared for some things uh, that, that will come. Now, I'm going to start out with a disclaimer. We're going to get into the word uh, here real quick. One of the things I love about the Foursquare Church, and if you're not familiar with that, we're, we're a part of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel here as a church family. We're part of the bigger body of Christ. And if you read their, uh, their, their faith statement, this we believe, uh, it says on it right there, uh, uh, in essentials, the things that are essential for salvation, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. Now, I really appreciate that about our church family because we don't have to believe the same way in regard to all of the non-essential things of, of our faith. In essentials, unity. Okay, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How many believe that's true? Okay, <laughs> that's essential. Uh, th that's, th that's where we, we unify around the person of Jesus Christ, a virgin birth, th that a prophet prophesied, a woman would be the child and give birth to her son. She'd be a virgin. A and then, of course, we know the Christmas story. So Jesus had to be fully God and fully man. That's an essential. He had to be able to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He had to be able to send the Holy Spirit so we could be born again. He said to Nicodemus, let us man born is, get, is born again. He won't enter in the kingdom of heaven. So there are things that we believe are absolutely essential to our fate. And then, then when we get into things that have to do with end-time prophecies, uh, there are a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different opinions. So some of the things that I'm going to talk about today are non-essentials. You can still come to this church if you don't agree with me. Please do, okay? 
because all of us have been influenced by other teachers, other leaders. You've been influenced by the denomination that maybe you grew up in. And, and so as, as a result of that, we bring different perspectives to these things that I'm going to talk about uh, today. So I, I think it's really important for you to understand liberty. I'm going to tr try to support them scripturally. I'm going to have to refer to a lot of scriptures, but not read them all. So I'll start out with my apology for that because I don't have time to do all of that. But, but I think it's just real important for us to understand uh, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, of course, charity and love toward one another. Now let's get started. Last week uh, in our series in Daniel, chapter 7, we saw that Daniel had a dream. Now here's a non-essential. I believe, I, I believe he had a heart for the nation of Israel. I, how many know Daniel was an intercessor? He, he based his life on prayer three times a day. In fact, he risked his life to pray in Daniel chapter 6. So he's a man of prayer. And, and he's been in Babylon for now 60 years. And uh, he, he went there as a young teen, 16, 17 years old. He served as an administrator uh, for, for, for the different kings in Babylon during that time. And he has a heart for Israel. He's wanting to know, Lord, what's going to happen? Are your promises that you gave Abraham 2,000 years earlier, are those promises going to be fulfilled? Will we return back to Israel, the land of promise? Will you fulfill your blessing that you gave to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham? At night he had a dream. And God literally unfolds and shows him the future. Future from the time he's alive till the end. When the Antichrist, this one person, uh, will rule uh, the entire world. Now in this dream, we saw it last week, uh, coming out of the sea. And we talked about that being a, the sea of humanity, uh, of all mankind. Coming up out of the sea, he saw four beasts that represented four future kingdoms. He, he saw a winged lion. He saw a bear. He saw a leopard with wings. He, he saw then this ferocious beast with iron teeth. And, and, and an angel explained to him, those are the kingdoms of the world uh, that are coming. One of them, of course, the first one, the winged lion, represented the Babylonian Empire, the bear, the Persian, uh, Medo-Persian Empire, the uh, Greek Empire, uh, Alexander the Great. Babylon was conquered by the Medo-Persians, was conquered by Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, and then finally by Rome. What's interesting is Rome was never conquered. Uh, even though it was fierce and ferocious, it, it crumbled from the inside. But from its influence, ten horns or ten nations or ten kingdoms would come, and one small horn would rise up in the midst of those ten with eyes and a boastful mouth. Let's read that verse in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. It says, uh, Daniel says, While I was thinking about the horns, uh, there before me was another horn, a, a little one, uh, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So there's this transition of kingdoms there. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Uh, now, last week, I, I, I mentioned that many Bible scholars, many teachers, many pastors, evangelists, people like Billy Graham. I heard him 
pre preach a, a, one of his evangelistic sermons on this section of scripture. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, uh, you know, David Jeremiah in the day we live, uh, you know, Greg Laurie, different, different. Many believe that this is the first reference uh, to the Antichrist in the Bible. There are lots of others. Uh, Bible scholars say there's as many as 100 references uh, to the coming of the Antichrist uh, throughout the Bible. And I didn't take time to look them all up. Uh, but I did read several. My wife said, what are you doing? And I was reading the Bible this week, uh, Revelations and Second Thessalonians. And some incredible verses in 1 John chapter 2. So I encourage you to, to read that chapter sometime maybe this week. But in, 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 in John chapter 2, one of the things we see uh, it, during, the, during the first century in the early church, uh, they believed it, an antichrist was coming, the apostle Paul. He was only in the, the, the town of Thessalonica for three weeks. And yet when he writes First and Second Thessalonians, he reminds them what he taught about the rapture, and he reminds them what he taught about the antichrist. And we're going to look at those verses uh, in, a, in a few moments. When, when, John, when John writes his letter to the church in, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, he, says, uh, he, he says, now we all understand that there is an Antichrist coming. This is in 1 John 2 verse 18. And then he goes on to say, but already there are many uh, Antichrists, many spirits that are anti-Christ. The word anti-Christ means against Christ. In other words, they would deny that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that he is fully God and fully man. There are many spirits that would deny that. Are there any spirits that would deny that in the day we live? Yeah, lots of them. Some of them are religious groups, but some of them are just uh, in, in liberal culture. Spirits... The spirit of the Antichrist works through thinking, thought systems, ways cultures begin to believe. Uh, there are people that form our ideas. We think all our ideas are from us. We think we're so smart. But there are actually people who form our ideas. And they communicate them in music. They communicate them online. They communicate them in schools. They communicate them through government. And, and, and so there are different spirits of the Antichrist that, that are already at, at, at work in the world. The Antichrist is referred to as, as a, a man of lawlessness in the Bible. And aren't there spirits in our culture? And I... I don't, I don't want to go too far in just mentioning what's happening with the riots, but I heard again uh, down, where was it? Someone tell me where two policemen were killed. Uh, I think it was last night or, or, or this morning. Somewhere down in the south where, where there's just this, uh, this lawlessness that's, that, that's going on in our culture. Now, I know that people are trying to express themselves, and, and I understand that. But lawlessness is basically rooted in believing that the Bible is simply an old book. It's out of date. 
And lawlessness is rooted in the idea that we want to make our own rules. We want to do our own thing. And everyone here this morning has struggled with that. We have all struggled with the idea of surrendering or submitting to someone other than ourselves. But if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, one of your decisions is to follow. And that means to obey. Jesus said in John 15, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him. So, you know, you can look out in the culture and understand that we're battling spirits of the Antichrist. They're in a variety of different messages that we hear constantly and especially for you as parents who might be watching online, I'm especially concerned for your children. Because as a young person, I remember I was following the spirit of Antichrist wholeheartedly. I remember the day I thought, uh, you know, Jesus, he's just a good man. He's just a good moral teacher. And I thought I was so smart that I came up with that myself. I mean, how long has that been around, you know? Where did that come from? It was a spirit in our culture. And... These particular spirits have ways of communicating. We accept them without knowing it and literally begin to follow a lawless life. A, a, a no one's going to tell me what to do type of, of doctrine. So Jesus basically came to set things in order and of course, uh, to, to, to become a follower, you have to deal with the whole the spirits of the Antichrist and the spirits of lawlessness in, in the world. Um, how many know that God's word is true, though every man is a liar? That's what Paul said in the book of Romans. And at, at some point, you've got to understand that the word of God is a standard for, for us to follow. Now, let me encourage you when you're ministering to someone, uh, Christians sometimes are great with coming up with rules that people need to follow without helping people process the battle they're in. The people that don't know Christ are in a battle with the spirit of the Antichrist in a variety of different ways. And, and unless you can understand and empathize and pray and, and listen and love and, and not point people to the law, but point people to the person of Jesus... How many know he's the one that set you free? He's the one that set you free. So it's really important when we're dealing with these things in our culture that we just don't, simply don't point to rules, but that we point people to Jesus. Could someone say amen? All right. So there's a spirit of antichrist. It's all around us. He's in every world, every culture. But there is an antichrist who will come. And there will, this, I guess what I'm saying right now is the stage is being set. And someday, the man of lawlessness, and not the spirit of the Antichrist, but the Antichrist, will be raised up uh, in the world. Now, who is he? What is he going to be like? Uh, where does he come from? And where does he get his power? Well, thank you for asking. Um, Okay, first of all, the Antichrist will not be dressed in black, like Darth Vader. You know, that 
sound that Darth Vader, I can't do it. Apparently my mic won't help me, but, you know, eyes of red that glow in the dark. Okay, he's, he's not going to look like that. Uh, the, the Antichrist will be probably a pretty handsome guy. Certainly uh, attracted. People will be attracted to him. He'd be very intelligent, probably wearing an Armani suit, uh, powerful orator, convincing speaker. Uh, it says in Daniel 8, uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 8 that we just read, he will speak boastfully. So he's going to have a certain amount of self-confidence, self-assuredness. Uh, later we'll see he's got to be a narcissist, very self-centered because he'll want people to worship him as God. But, but he will come subtly and deceitfully. Okay, why? Be because Satan is the one who gives him power, and Satan right now is at work to empower him when he is raised up so that we'll go, he's the one, we need to follow him. He's our Messiah because he's the Antichrist. And people around the world will literally fall in line. See, he's going to bring Global peace around the world, if you can imagine. How many think we want peace in the world today? People in culture today want peace at, no, at, at any cost. They want peace. And so he's going to literally, with the help of Satan, <laughs> he's the one who's going to give him his power, he's going to bring global peace around the world. Uh, he's going to establish a peace treaty uh, with Israel and Palestine. Can you imagine that? No one ever thought that would happen. But he's going to pave the way uh, for the long-awaited third temple in Jerusalem so that the sacrificial system and the altar can be restored in Jerusalem. They've been waiting since 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And he's going to accomplish that. He's going to come with economic solutions. He will lead the world in, in, in an economic recovery. And that's going to seem great to everyone. So the first portion of this uh, tribulation, tremendous persecution against Christians especially. But, but he is going to seem like a hero. But we need to know it's only the beginning. And everything that has happened so far is simply a mask. At the midway uh, in the seven years of, of tribulation, his true colors will come out. His desire for control of the world and his desire to be worshipped as God. So at the halfway mark, three and a half years, a time, times, and a half time, talks about in Daniel, 42 months is mentioned in uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, the abomination that causes desolation will take place. In other words, he will enter, his forces will enter that temple that has been built in Jerusalem. He will enter that temple. He will remove the altar. He will remove the sacrificial system. And he will put up an image of himself and demand to be worshipped. That's an abomination, trust me, of course, uh, to the people of Israel. It's an abomination that causes literally desolation uh, in, in Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, Jesus said it this way in Mark 13, verse 14, and in Matthew uh, 24, he said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where he should not be, he's referring, of course, to the Antichrist, uh, he says, run, <laughs> flee to the hills of Judah, hide. He, he said, Jesus says, if you're working on your housetop, he said, don't go down and get your laptop, just get out of here. 
Okay, run. He said, woe unto those who are pregnant during that time. It's not easy to run when you're pregnant. Woe, to, if, if this happens uh, during the time of winter when there's cold and, and when, there's, when, when there's snow. Now, obviously the Jewish people will refuse to worship him. That will bring terrible persecution and many will be killed. But it will always also bring an amazing revival among the Jewish people. The Jewish people are going to recognize he is not our Messiah. And they're going to return to the Messiah who came and died on a cross to pay the penalty for their sins. And there's going to be an amazing revival. Literally hundreds of thousands of Jewish people will become Christians during uh, the second half of, uh, of, of the tribulation. Now, one of the things uh, that is going to happen that will help him gain control of the world as he's deceiving people with peace. It says, the Bible says, through peace he will deceive many. But one of the things that will happen is he's going to establish global control through a cashless society. Revelations 13, 17, it says, no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. Anyone ever heard that before? Anyone ever heard the number 666? Wonder what that's all about. Well, it's interesting. Aren't we fast becoming a cashless society? Do any of you carry cash anymore? Not, not very often. I might put a 20 in there or something, but almost everything is on a, on a card. Uh, how are you going to accomplish a cashless society? Here's what Bill Gates said seven years ago. Bill Gates said in 2013, the key, he said, this is what he said, the key to a cashless society are mobile phones. He said by the year 2030, 2 billion people around the world in third world countries who don't have banking systems or access to banks, Bill Gates said 2 billion people around the world, they'll store money on their phones. Now, how many of you have access to money on your phone. Use, you know, Apple, Apple Pay, Samsung Plus. I have an account with an app called PayPal. Maybe some of you do. Pay for a variety of things that I, that I buy online. I send money instantly to my son in London. Uh, it instantly goes into his account when he accepts it. Thankfully, I don't send much these days. Hallelujah. <laughs> there is salvation. But anyway, um, you know, May a birthday or something like that. How many of you use a biometric system to access your phone? You use your fingerprint, maybe on your on your lens. Uh, now you can use your eye, face recognition. Uh, obviously, phones are a problem because you can lose it, or they can be hacked. But wouldn't it be easier if you just used a biometric system to access your money? You know, put a little chip in your hand, maybe a little chip on your forehead or something, and, you know, you just walk through Home Depot, dink, and you go on your way. That day's coming. It's coming, and it, it, you, we can see it's not very far away. Now, I first heard about these things 40 years ago, and the idea of a cashless system and a number 666, I mean, the idea of that was like, really? That's sci-fi, man. That is way out there. But it's here, and, and it could literally 
happen now. Look how quickly governments have taken control of the world. Look how quickly people in fear have said, well, we need to do this. We need to do this. Well, we need to do this. And we've just... Now, this sounds bad. I don't mean it in a bad way. It's kind of like we're following a sheep to the slaughter kind of thing. It, it's a little scary how quickly the world has fallen in line with, with government authority. And I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't. You know, around here, we've tried to be very careful. We want to be safe because the COVID virus isn't something to, to play with. You know, people can die. And when we move back inside, there will be... A variety of uh, restrictions and things so I feel like I'm saying this at a bad time but at the same time we understand how someone the right person at the right time could literally control the entire world if they had the right influence now one of the things that I I, I noticed as I was studying is these words about a cashless society? By the way, don't go out and get rid of all your cards. That's not what I'm saying. Do you know the words of Revelation were written during a time of wood, stone, spears, and swords? They had no technology. When John prophesied the book of Revelation that this day would come, that was 2,000 years ago. And he couldn't get cell coverage anywhere on the Isle of Patmos. I mean, you know, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? He couldn't get coverage anywhere. Why do I say that? Because the Bible is the only book that declares to predict the future. Not only once. Not only twice. But hundreds of times. There are hundreds of prophecies about the coming of Christ the first time and, of course, the second time. And all of them have been proven to be true. My point, you can trust the Bible. In fact, there are fools. And I'm going to use that word intentionally and biblically. The Bible says a man is a fool if he doesn't believe in God. And there are fools that deny the authority of the Bible. There are fools that want to continue to live a lawless life and a lawless lifestyle. And I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I hope I'm offending some. Because we want to hold on to the spirit of the Antichrist more than you realize. He's woven into the church. He's woven into, into denominations. Entire denominations have adjusted their moral compass and their moral code because of lawlessness and the spirit of the Antichrist that's work, working in, in the world today. And it's, it, it, it's challenging. You know, one of the things the Bible shows us is we need a Savior because we can't do it. We can't live it. We'll never measure up. We need forgiveness. Could someone say Amen. We need a new heart and a new mind. We need to be born again. That's what the Bible shows us. It doesn't help us to lower the standard, or we're going to make the Bible this standard now so we can all live it. Wouldn't that be terrible? I want to be called from earth toward heaven. I want to respond to the call of God. I want to pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, and that's what the Bible calls us 
to do. How are you doing so far? Okay. Well, Pastor, this is the most depressing sermon I have ever heard. All this evil, persecution, pestilence, plagues. Well, here's the bad news. The bad news is the Antichrist. We already know the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. At work, The Antichrist is coming. The good news, Jesus Christ is coming. Isn't that good news? Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming soon, I believe. I believe he's coming before the Antichrist is raised up and the beginning of the tribulation. Now, I, I know that may be questionable. What I'm talking about is a, is a pre-tribulation rapture. And I'm going to show you here in a moment what, why I believe that. I've talked with people who are mid-trib and some who are, you know, post-trib and some who are pan-trib. And, you know, you know this joke. Uh, some people just hope it will all pan out in the end, you know. They don't, they don't know how it's going to happen, but they're just, you know, case or ass or whatever it will be, will be. Not me. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Aren't you? See, the bad news is that the Antichrist is coming, but the good news is that Jesus Christ is, is coming. And I believe uh, before the Antichrist can be raised up first, the church has to be taken out. Now, where's the Antichrist coming from? We don't know. Many people believe he will come from uh, Europe, uh, some uh, possibly... Something that was under the influence of Rome because of the picture of the ten horns and then the one horn, uh, Rome never being uh, totally defeated. And so you're looking at northern Africa, you're looking at western Asia, and, and basically all of, all of Europe. That's the region that um, Rome had conquered. So most people think the Antichrist will come, come from somewhere there. Whether he will or not, we don't know. There's the idea of, of ten horns, ten confederated nations. Isn't it interesting how Europe has pulled together as ten confederated na nations and they've established a commonwealth for their, for their money and their, their economy. There is this push within the United Nations to, to have a one world government that will bring peace. That is the push. There's a push within the United Nations to have a one world economy. That, 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 that's, do you read anything? That's what's happening in our world. Where's the United States in all this? How many love the United States? I do, I, I love being here. I've been in a few other countries. Always love, want to come back. The United States is unique. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with a man in our history, his name's George. Some of you are thinking George Washington. He's considered, you know, the father of our nation. I'm talking about George Whitfield, who was the spiritual father of our nation, who came to the United States from the UK in 1740. He preached the gospel itinerantly to 80% of the people who lived in colonies at that time. Thousands of people came to Christ. There was a spiritual awakening in the early colonies of the United States. And it was from that soil that the Declaration of Independence was established for this nation. In fact, Patrick Henry is the one who said, this nation has not been established by religionists 
or by religion. This nation has been established on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's Patrick Henry. Now, unfortunately, there are revisionists in our culture that will remove that from our history. But that's our history, along with removing statues and all of the history that's established, good or bad. In order to become totally lawless, a totally lawless society, we've got to remove all the moorings that have anchored us as a people and as a nation. And that's, that's what's happening in the world. I believe before it happens, the rapture takes place. The church is taken out of the way. And if you brought a Bible, I'm going to have you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. I'm going to skip over 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. If you want to read about the rapture, that awesome section, please read about it. But I, I'm going to get to how the rapture affects the man of lawlessness, okay? Um, so 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 7 through 8, it says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless ones. We have lawlessness, the spirit of lawlessness, verse 8. But then the lawless one, the individual, the Antichrist. Then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now in that second verse, he's talking about the second coming of Christ at the battle of Armageddon where Jesus will destroy the Antichrist and all the uh, kings and armies of the world with the breath of his mouth. It's just like this. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> just gone. Yeah, the, the first part, he talks about the rapture, okay? The secret power of lawlessness is already at work in the world. That's obvious. See it all around us. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Who is he there? I think he's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's referred to as a person. Jesus said when he comes, Jesus said he will lead you into all truth. I think the he there is the person of the Holy Spirit. Where does he work? Where does he dwell? In the church. When is he taken out? At the rapture, when we are caught up in the air to be with the Lord. When people who have died before us come with the Lord in the air and we're caught up together to be with him. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be with the Lord. See, I believe the rapture has to take place first. That's when all hell, literally, will break loose. That's when the Antichrist will be raised up, and that's when the tribulation begins. Now, if you want to hang around to the middle or the end, that's fine with me. I'll send you a card, okay? Now, could that happen in our lifetime? It, I, you know, I don't know what's holding him back. Yes, it could happen Will it happen in our lifetime? I don't know. That's why we need to watch and pray.
that, that's why we need to discern. I'm not interested in trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, what country he'll come from. I'm not consumed with the coming of the Antichrist. I'm consumed with the coming of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3 says, He who has his hope fixed on him coming back will purify him, himself, just as he himself is pure. I'll, I'll tell you, I need that. Because like you, without the Holy Spirit, I have nothing. I need the person of the Holy Spirit every day in my life. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to hope in the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, what's the difference between the rapture and, and, and the second coming? I believe the rapture happens first at the beginning of the tribulation. Second uh, coming comes at the end of the tribulation when Jesus will judge the world. Okay, at the rapture, Jesus comes as a thief in the night. In the moment in a twinkling of an eye. Bat your eye with me. Just twinkle. That quick, we're out of here. We receive a glorified body. We meet Jesus in the air with all of our loved ones who have gone before us who receive their glorified bodies. And uh, we get to be with Jesus. Now, if you want to hang out down here for the tribulation, that's awesome. We've got a marriage supper of the Lamb to attend to upstairs. And that's where I'm going to be. Okay. Some of us are going to be rewarded for faith and uh, you know, th there's a lot of things that are going to go on. But after the tribulation, we're coming back with Jesus Christ uh, in the second coming. At the end of the tribulation, when he will judge the world. Now, uh, all of that in, in two short verses is, 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 is communicated. He will overthrow the lawless one with the breath of his mouth. And I believe that takes place in the battle of Armageddon. It's talked about in uh, Revelation chapter 16. Uh, basically, how this all plays out chronologically is midway through the tribulation, uh, the, the Antichrist uh, sets up the image of himself. He actually sits on a throne for some period of time there in the temple, demands to be worshipped. Of course, Israel won't do it. In hatred, he sets himself to destroy and persecute Israel. Now, God is with them. How many believe God is with Israel to the end? God is with them. And he can't defeat them. They start turning to Jesus Christ by the thousands. And, and the Antichrist can't defeat them. He calls together kings from around the world. Kings of the east. It says spirits are sent out and they call all the kings and kingdoms. Uh, against the poor little Israel, just a little nation down there. You know, they're always outnumbered, overpowered. In the second coming at the Battle of Armageddon, when the world has aligned itself against Israel, that's when Jesus returns for all those who have believed in him uh, th 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 through the tribulation. With the breath of his mouth, he destroys the Antichrist. There's more about that. He um, destroys the kings, kingdoms of this world. Uh, we enter in at that point into a millennium period, and I don't think I'll go there. <laughs> a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. The lion will lay down with the lamb. It'll be like Eden, the Garden of Eden on the earth for a thousand years. People, it says in Isaiah, a baby, if, if it dies at a thousand, I mean at a hundred years, 
th that would be unusual. That, that would be so young. We're, we're going to live so... Of course, we're going to have resurrected bodies. But anyway, the Bible is an amazing book, and, and it says some amazing things. But, but, but it's really, really hard to understand without the help of the Holy Spirit. I know the Bible says, eye is not seen, ears not heard, nor is it entered in the heart of man. It, it, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the mind of un unbelievers. You know, the enemy is at work against us all the time to discourage us, to feed us, and, and, and blind us, spirits of the Antichrist, blind us uh, to the truth of, about who God is and what he's come to do. If you've given your life to Christ, you've got a great future. <laughs> Hallelujah. You have a great future. Let me invite the worship team to come on up. Thank you so much for your patience this morning. I tried to say a lot and a little, so I appreciate your love and encouragement. But let me, let me close with this. Are you Antichrist? <laughs> I didn't ask, are you the Antichrist? Okay, I know you're not. Okay. But there is a spirit of Antichrist in the world, and there's a spirit of lawlessness. And oftentimes, as people who say they believe, we still haven't submitted to the love of God and the law of God and the ways of God in His Word. So are you still struggling with an Antichrist mindset or attitude or spirit? I want to encourage you this morning uh, as we go to come to Jesus Christ. And, and that, we sang about it this morning, that really is a moment of surrender. You don't have to know how you're going to do it, how you're going to live it out. You don't know how... how you don't, you don't have to know how you're going to solve some of the moral issues or, or the problems that you wrestle with in your soul. You, you don't have to know how you're going to do it. I, I promise you, you're not going to do it in your strength. You're going to need the help and power of the Holy Spirit. But it starts with coming to Christ and trusting Him for His future, for your future, that He has a plan, that He is good, that He'll work in your life and in your soul, that He'll work all things together for good. So I want to encourage you this morning, come to Jesus Christ. Trust Him with your life and give yourself to Him. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to invite uh, Caleb to lead us in this song. We'll sing a portion of All Hail King Jesus again. And While we're singing it, maybe for you, this is a moment of intimacy with Jesus where you just present yourself to Him and say, Lord, I give my life to you. I don't want to be lawless anymore. I don't want to be ruled by the Spirit of the Antichrist. I want to give my life to you make that decision this morning. We'll go in just a minute. There was a moment when the sky lit up A flash of light breaking through When all was lost he crossed eternity The key of life was on in the dark, for in a dark hotel,
every voice, sing this out. Let every knee. to you in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we want to give our lives to you in a fresh way here this morning. Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit to come, fill us, deliver us from that antichrist, that lawless mindset. Lord, those things that keep us from being fully committed, fully devoted. Lord, we ask you to help us with that. Lord, I pray for the person her sons, Lord, who've never taken that step of faith. They're listening, they're learning about Jesus, but they've never taken that step of faith. Lord, give them the boldness and courage today, today. You know, the Holy Spirit is near to you today, and if that's you, today, if you'll simply say his name, Jesus, I want to receive you. Jesus, I want to open my heart to you. He'll come. He'll come. And he will touch you and he'll fill you. You're going to be renewed in your heart. You're going to have a different understanding when you read God's word. You're going to come alive, the Bible says, in Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Take that step of faith today. Lord, I want to thank you for being here with us to help us take that step of faith. Whoever we are, wherever we are, online or out here in the amphitheater, Lord, we thank you for that today. Pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Could we say amen by clapping to the Lord and thanking him for his grace?